before we begin today's episode, super pleased to announce the arrival of Liberation Apparel. Uh, just simply go to my website, liberation.simplecast.com. Uh, you will find the link for Liberation Apparel, where you'll find tons of items for men, women, and children with more to come. Find something you like at checkout. Enter the code LIBERATION to receive free shipping on your order. Again, that's free shipping on your order with the promo code LIBERATION. You are now listening to Liberation. I am your host, LaCroix Hatcher. Liberation presents Katrina Cade and Karen Brown. Katrina is the founder of Cry for the Broken, a ministry designed to reach and transition addicted prostitutes. This episode, Katrina will discuss her past life as a prostitute herself, along with being a drug and sex abuse victim. Katrina and Karen will tell us about their daily work, the ups and downs, the support of the church, and redemption in Christ. Please enjoy the show. Okay, folks, today uh, on this episode of Liberation, I have with me uh, Katrina Cape, uh, founder and director of Cry for the Broken, and she's also a member of the Clear Creek Church of Christ, and she's also joined by her long outstanding buddy, Miss Karen Brown, who also assists her in this ministry. I do want to make it clear uh, that this episode does have mature content. Uh, but it is a very applicable study moment if you do have your children uh, with you. So, again, ladies, um, introduce yourself. Let's start with Katrina. Hey, I'm Katrina Cabe, and I'm the founder and director of Cry for the Broken. Um, I attend Clear Creek Church of Christ, where I also work as a restoration developer. It's my job to go out into the community and create disciples who create disciples. And I'm Karen Brown, and I am a longtime friend and uh, mentor to Katrina Cabe. And uh, I have uh, started off in the beginning with Cry for the Broken, and I serve in a volunteer role in the organization in outreaches. Okay, okay. Um, so, Karen, um, I mean, I'm sorry, not Karen, Katrina. Huh? Um, let's start from the beginning. Uh, what... Uh, led you down the road you took. Um, let's start from um, your childhood, if you don't mind. Sure, I don't mind at all. You know, I think it was a perfect storm of bullying at school and abuse at home that caused me to run away from home when I was when I was 13 years old. Um, by the time that I had run away, I had been taught that the only thing that I had that was of any value was my body because of sexual abuse, because of bullying at school and the special attention I would get paid by boys. Um, I thought that that was the only thing that I had to offer the world. And so I began a long road sexual exploitation when I was 13 years old. Um, the first one being survival sex. And that's where a person um, uses their body to get essential needs like food, clothing, shelter, love. Um, and then when I turned 18, I was really happy because I didn't have to live that way anymore. I could get a job, mm -hmm. but found out pretty quickly that I had no work ethic and I had, um, I had no idea how to behave on the job. I had, I had no raisin. I had no training. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to the strip clubs where I stayed for seven years until I became so strung out that I didn't qualify anymore. They mm-hmm. picked me up and threw me out the back door like garbage. And so the only thing that I knew to do was to uh, turn to prostitution. And in doing that, I was um, offered jobs a few times by men and women um, and we call that sex trafficking, where somebody else is making money off of the commercial sex act, where it's, uh, uh, f- sorry, hope you edit this, uh, force, fraud, or coercion is involved. But mm. those were not very long-standing stints because I'm so independent and such a leader that mm. I would just run off and do my own thing. I came out of the life through prison ministry. Karen Brown was a huge part of that, ministering to me while I was incarcerated. Um, I had also caught HIV during my last five years of prostitution, and so prostitution became a felony for me, Mm -hmm. and I was offered drug court. So I went through drug court kicking and screaming. I think that I was in there for three years in an 18-month program, And by the time I graduated it, I was back in church and trying to follow the Lord and soon got married and then got called back out to the streets because I looked around at everything that I had and the way that I felt and the way that I knew that God loved me. And I said, how can I not go back out and tell everybody else? Okay. You pretty much, you know, that's the end of the show. Thanks for coming. (laughs) (laughs) along the way i i really am because raising awareness is one of my primary goals in this oh. field I, I want you know i think we all want to be known mm-hmm. i think that's that's a really big deal for everybody is to just be known and i found that by being transparent and by being willing to answer you know the best and the worst about my life that mm-hmm. I can be known, and it's a great feeling. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, all right. So, let's all right. Let's dial it back. Um, so, from what I do know, as far as uh, most abuse victims of any type, there's usually something that triggers it at a, a young age. So, what was the first time that you can recall growing up in your um, growing up? with abuse in your household? The first time that I can recall, I was so young that I couldn't tell you how old I was. And I remember um, being hit and being slapped. Mm. Um, I can remember being six years old and, and my mom slapping me and telling me, stop being smart, quit sassing me. And I remember I would pray and say, Jesus, make me not sassy. Make me stop being smart. I don't know what I'm doing. And then next thing you know, I'm at the eye doctor and they're telling me that I have a lazy eye. So I, my eye had been crossing over and my mama thought that I had been crossing my eyes at her. Mm. And that's what I was getting slapped for. Now, I want to be clear. Um, I don't have a chain to the bed locked in the closet physical abuse story. Mm-hmm. I was raised like a lot of southern children were raised mm-hmm. where if we popped off, we got backhanded. Yeah. You don't, you don't spit a rod down south. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's wild down here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my mother is from Georgia herself. 
Oh, you got whooped too, then, didn't you? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm no stranger to the belt. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, um, now from what I understood, there was um not only an issue with your um mother, there was some issues uh, when you left your mother's household um, off to your father's uh, household. Yeah, that's correct. So the whole father thing with me can get a little confusing, so I'm going to try to explain it. Um, So when I was 12, my mother called me in the house and told me that my daddy was not my real daddy and that my real daddy had just been killed in a motorcycle accident. And, Mm -hmm. um, So I went back outside to process all of this. I sat on my trampoline and I I thought about it for a while. And I thought about, you know, I've been getting in trouble. I was 12. I was getting into that rebellious stage. And I thought maybe I hadn't given my stepdad a fair shot because, you know, at least he was there. You know, at least he wasn't a liar like my daddy. And at least he was there unlike my father. And so I thought maybe... Like, he was drunk, and he was passed out on the couch. My mom was drunk. She was passed out in the back bedroom by this time. And I thought, maybe if I could just crawl up on the couch and lay next to him Mm -hmm. and see if my heart feels like I could let him be a father to me, then Mm -hmm. maybe I could start being nicer and minding him and doing what he says. Um, And so I crawled up on the couch next to him, and that was the first time he ever touched me inappropriately. Mm -hmm. So that went on for a year. It went on for a year, and I, I told my mom the first time, but she kind of swept it under the rug, said, oh, he was passed out. He probably thought you were me. Mm. And so for the next year, I didn't tell her because the only thing that hurt worse than the deception of being touched inappropriately was having my mama look at me and not believe me. Mm. And so instead, I decided to go stay with my daddy, and she made me promise not to tell him that I knew that he wasn't my father, and I promised. Um, But... I got my first real boyfriend that summer, and that's that's how I'm going to say that is real boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got caught, and Daddy got upset and said, I didn't raise you to act that way. Who taught you to act that way? And the truth came out, and I told him everything and told him that I knew he wasn't my real daddy and mm-hmm. told him what my stepdad had done to me. And, and um, you know, it, it was all downhill from there because he – He hit the road. He was always a truck driver, and I had a stepmother by this time who was a religious fanatic. Um, We we went to a holiness Pentecostal church, which which is a beautiful denomination. I believe that all Christian denominations are beautiful. They each have their gifts, but this particular place was was very different than anything I had ever seen, and she would tell me things like I had a demon snake wrapped around me and she would Mm. cuss at me and speak in tongues and throw holy water on me and hit me. Mm -hmm. And man, I can remember walking down that driveway because they had a mile long dirt driveway in rural North Carolina Mm -hmm. and thinking, I don't know what God that lady was talking about back there, but that is not the God that I remember from my childhood in Sunday school. And so I would like to say that I I set off in the world looking for God, but unfortunately, that's not what happened. I set out in the world looking for love and had no idea the reality of God being love. I was looking for love in places that I shouldn't have been. Mm. Uh, So at what point 
in your age, because you had a lot of traumatic things going on, uh, at what point did maybe alcohol and drugs enter into the uh, scenario? That's a good question. So I took my first drink when I was 10. Um, I had an older cousin come over and stay the night. It was his, his idea to get mama's liquor bottle from under the sink. And so oh. that was really fun. <laughs> you know, it was a really grown up experience. And then when I was 12, my stepdad started giving me, um, he would let me drink out of his mixed drink and he would mm. give me cigarettes. And so when I threatened to tell on him, he said, well, if you tell on me, then I'm telling them you smoke and you drink and they're going to know that you're just a little liar. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, is, is being bullied at school and having this secret of I drink, I smoke, I cuss, I talk about stuff that I do with boys, even though I ain't doing it. Because I'd make up stuff just to sound grown up because right. that's what kids do. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was a part of something. I felt like I fit in somewhere where I had never fit in before. That's why I think that I allowed it to go on for a full year. Of him trying to grab at me and being too drunk to catch me. And okay. So she would send the police to my aunt's house if I went there. So I, I had to run where they couldn't find me. So, so with all these things going on, and um, I'm trying not to fast forward too far, um, have you had a chance to mend any of your relationships with any of your um uh, parents, loved ones, um, with everything going on since? I have. I have. I was very close to my Nana. I was always really close to my Nana, but my Nana um, was a very Southern woman with very bad nerves, and so she couldn't begin to take on the responsibility of trying to house me. Um, I would always call her from wherever I was at and let her know that I was safe. And um, till she died last year, we we had a wonderful relationship. And sorry for your loss. It's okay, thank you. Um, seven years ago, I got to meet my paternal family, and let me tell you, man, all that time growing up thinking that I was different, I was absolutely right because I'm so much like them. <laughs> um, it is such a wonderful experience to to be able to spend holidays with them and phone calls with them and. And just see where uh, my sassiness and my tenacity and my ability to be assertive comes from my intelligence. You know, all of those things that I didn't know that I was, I discovered. And then I met them and it all made sense. I talk to my grandmother every day and she is amazing. It's good. It's good. Uh, you, you spent a period of time where uh, you didn't have a home to call your own. Um, how, how scary was it to live in those types of situations? You know, it's, it's really scary. And I think that it's an endless cycle of shame, guilt, fear, drugs to drown it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of good times in between. You know, I, I don't want to lie and say that, that 20 years of my life was a living hell. There were lots of times that were, but there was also a lot of parties and a lot of feeling glamorous and a lot mm-hmm. of worldly, fleshy crap. Yeah, that's honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's very honest. Um, I'm going to come your way, Karen. Um, okay. 
her story and you've how, how long when you were at uh the Mountain Creek congregation um how long have you assisted in the ministry uh to help save young ladies like Katrina Okay, well, I first originally met Katrina when she was incarcerated, and I was involved in doing prison ministry at one of our local prisons here. And um, right from the get-go, uh, me and the other ladies that worked at this ministry knew she was a little bit different. <laughs> she she was in large and in charge, even at the jail. <laughs> okay. And... Um, we struck up a friendship, and um, after she was able to leave the facility, she then went into a program, and we weren't able to have contact with her for over 18 months because of the decision that the uh, drug court had made. And as soon as that time frame was up, we picked back up and uh, connected, and um, the rest is history. <laughs> okay. Um, how how long were you uh, in that type of ministry prior to meeting Katrina? I probably had been in it for four or five years, and then she uh, was in that there at that time. And uh, we still uh, do that ministry, even though we have been uh, not able to for the past year and a half because of COVID. And I get to go in with them. Yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> Uh, and, and it's a beautiful thing to see because uh, as much as we love girls and those girls love on us, she can relate to them in a way that we cannot. Okay. Um, the average the, the average person, let alone Christian, isn't uh, bold enough to get into that type of ministry care. What drew you towards uh, that type of work? Well, I... Wanted, I go to church on a regular basis and I'm involved with things that go on in church, but something about this ministry made me feel like I was really making a difference. Mm -hmm. And that I think it was the draw. I also have a, a very lively personality as Katrina does. And so we kind of mesh together too. And, and when we go out on the streets, we're just pretty much fearless. Yeah. That's good. Um, Katrina. Yes. Uh, living the life that you were living, um, and, you know, from what I understand, there were, um, throughout the sex trafficking, of course, you crossed different state lines. Uh, what are some of the most uh, terrifying moments that you can recall going through? Oh, well, you know, there, there are so many so many rapes and beatings and abandonments that I, I can't even remember them all. I've tried to sit down and work through my trauma and write them all out and remember things. I've, I've had guns held to my head um, during rape. I've, I've been left out in the middle of nowhere. I've uh, been kicked out of, of crack houses anywhere that I might be welcome and had nowhere to go and have fallen asleep walking and run into stop signs and telephone poles and knocked myself out once walking and sleeping and just trying to stay awake to make more money to get more drugs so that I could stay awake because I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, lots of scary things out there, man. If, if, if I were to ever sit down and write it all out, then nobody would ever let their children outside again if they really knew 
what happened out there in the world. Yeah. It's a, it's a treacherous world out there. Uh, this might be a little sensitive. So pardon me. Have there, uh, throughout your, this phase of your walk, uh, were there ever any thoughts of ending it all in some type of form or fashion? Oh yeah. 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 There was this beautiful abandoned building. I just, I love broken things. I love abandoned houses, abandoned buildings, broken people. I just love broke stuff. Um, there was one particular house where, or a building that I used to walk by when I would stay at one place that I could always go. Um, I would go there because the man would cook food for me and he would let me take a bath there and he would let me sleep there, but I would have to, um, do commercial sex for $5 in order to receive all of that. And so I would only go there when absolutely necessary. And so when I would wake up the next morning and walk two blocks down to the drug dealer's house where I knew they were going to make fun of me for only having $5 and they were going to run me away from there, but I just had to try anyway because it was all I had, I would think about hanging myself instead Mm. from the top floor of that abandoned building. And they just recently tore that building down, and I have two of the bricks out in my garden at the house that I own today. That's powerful. Um, what what were the beginning steps in you um, beginning to overcome uh, the life that you were in? There were two main things, and I would love to tell you. So. There was one particular week that I was out on the streets prostituting, and I weighed 85 pounds, and I had MRSA, staph infection, about 13 spots of it all over my body. And if you don't know what that is, it's like biblical boils, weeping sores all over my body. I was dressed in filthy, filthy rags, just torn up clothes that I had been wearing all week long. I had been beaten. I had been raped. I had been kidnapped. I had been abandoned. I had been robbed. I've been sold fake drugs. Just everything that could happen that was terrible had happened to me that weekend. I can remember the ladies from church at jail telling me, you just stomp your feet and say, Satan, get behind me. And so I'm thinking at this point, I'm going to try anything. You know, it's it's raining, it's sleeting, it's snowing. There's glass on the sidewalk and I'm going under this overpass and I just stomp my feet and I said, Satan, get thee behind me. Stop Mm -hmm. following me. And man, I heard this voice come out of nowhere, just as clear as mine that said, (laughs) I ain't following you. You're following me. Mm. And I was beside myself. This was not my own thought. Mm-hmm. This was not something that I thought out loud. I looked around. There was nobody around, and I knew that the enemy had spoken to me. And I was so angry. I was so angry at God because, see, I had it in my head that I could just believe in him and everything would be okay and that he understood why I did what I did because my life had been so bad. I had been done so wrong that I had to do these drugs. I had to do what I had to do to get by, and he knew that it was going to be okay because I believed in him. But in that moment, I knew that I was headed straight for the pits of hell. And I just thought, God, how could you allow me to believe this? And so I threw my hands up in the air and I'm screaming at him like, can you not even hear me anymore? Do you not see me? How long are you going to leave me out here? How long 
until you rescue me. And this beautiful black woman with the green eyes, she comes out of nowhere, man. And she touched me on the shoulders and she shook me almost awake because I was just in this rage. And she said, he wants to know, are you done? He wants to know, are you through? Because he is sick of your promises and he is tired of your lies and he just wants you to come home. And I was just like, whoa. (laughs) And so she took me across the street and she bought me something to eat. And she says, you got one promise to make and break to him out here and he's going to let you die. And what that lady didn't know is the only thing I'd ask God for for five years besides good crack and a safe trick was to not let me die out there. And so I knew that God had embodied this woman and stepped out and spoken to me. And you would think that that would be enough for me to drop everything and to fall prostrate on the ground and worship God and turn to him. But it wasn't. Mm-mm. Not for me, not for this crackhead. It took a few more times to go into jail. And here's the second part of my story. These ladies were coming to the jail. And they didn't just minister to me. They let me serve. Mm. You've got a servant's heart. That's the I-A-N in Christian is the servant part. And they would let me put the hymnals on the chairs and they would let me pick out the songs and sometimes they would even let me stand up and sing the songs and they would let me tell stories and and they would let me sing solos even though I sing horribly I mean I sing jail good but I don't I don't sing streets good you know what I'm saying absolutely like I can make them cry in jail but if I did it out here they'd be like oh honey (laughs) what are you doing baby But uh, they they allowed me to do that. They empowered me. They enabled me to serve in a in the most broken place. And I'll tell you that when I got drug court and they told me bed and bags, don't you know I cried? I said, don't make me go. I don't want to go. I found something worth living for. If I leave here, I might leave him here. Mm. I don't know that I'll take him with me. I ain't never done it before. But, you know, the Lord has spoken to my heart and he said, do your very best at each task that I set before you. And you let me take care of the rest. And here I sit, this homeless wretch, this gutter prostitute, this AIDS ridden Magdalene. And I'm sitting in a home that I own with a husband that I love, with a ministry that he gave me and a job that I adore and an award-winning education, and a mentor that I'm looking at here on the screen as I tell my story, that I see her heart Mm -hmm. every time I tell it because she's such a big part of it, man. She's right here with me. It's like we're apostles or disciples walking along this path. And each time we transition a girl we don't like the word rescue because jesus is the rescuer each time we transition a girl into safety it ain't enough we want to do more we want to do more for the kingdom we want to do more than hand out hymnals we want to do more than lead songs we want to do more than warm the pews on sundays we want to get in the highways and the hedges we want to get our feet dirty amen amen uh, I think a, a lot of times the servitude part of Christianity is lost. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's far too often there's, um, too many men or women, uh, that are looking for positions that will radiate and glorify them 
when the works that we do are to bring glorification to God, um, there, you know, no matter what the ups and downs or how low they are, no matter how high, we all have a story to tell and we all have a role to play. Um, so Katrina, um, not Katrina, I'm sorry, Miss Karen. Yes. Um, you mentioned the sassiness of Katrina. Um, what about her, um, in the midst of her sassiness appealed to you? Um, I think I originally spotted a beautiful, brilliant mind that continues to amaze me that she is so efficient in everything she does as far as ministry, serving these women that work on the streets. She she can read their minds. She knows exactly what to do, exactly what to say. And I'm continually amazed by the fact that someone who had such adversity at an early age is so advanced in her profession and in the way she can handle these things. And she's, she's just always been an amazement to me. Um, Katrina, and I'm going to get into something that I've seen you talk about. Um, but let me first ask this throughout the trials and tribulations. How many states um, did you enter into? I think seven. Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, North and South Carolina, Virginia and West Virginia and Ohio. So that's nine, I suppose. Hmm. Um, so it leads me into what I was saying. You talked about sexual exploitation. Mm-hmm. Um, speak to the audience about what exactly sexual exploitation is. Pardon me. Yeah. So sexual exploitation, wow, that's I've never been asked to explain that. Um, you know, I explain it using the five different forms that I've identified, and that's survival sex, strip clubs, pornography, prostitution, and trafficking. I believe it's any time a person's sexual sexuality is used for the purpose of uh, gaining something commercial, or for survival. That's a loose, poorly worded definition. <laughs> no, no. Um, and, and the reason I say no is because, as you all know, and, I, I, and I'm betting, Karen, you may know about this, sex talk in the church is taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. It, even... <laughs> Even when you're talking about married sex, it's just, it's taboo. Nobody wants to touch on that subject. And it's something that God designed for the man and woman. So, but we also have to touch on the dark side of it. I even, you know, when I think of sexual abuse in the Bible, the first thing that comes to my mind is David's daughter, who was violated by her own half brother, I believe, Mm -hmm. and how gut wrenching that was for her siblings, which caused a whole string of events that brought David down at some point. Um, and it's, it, it's gut wrenching. Uh, and, and I, and I don't think not only do we not talk about it enough, we don't know how to come to the rescue to victims, man or woman. Um, and I think 
we need to peel the the layers back off of this onion to be able to assist because that's what the church is for and that's what jesus jesus came for the brokenhearted those that were dismissed those that were uh not cared for those are the ones he came to seek after he came to seek after the, the lost uh children of israel those the, the castaways um and we're scared to touch on those subjects and that stunts the growth of the church and and that's why in my opinion you have a lot of people venturing off into other groups and God be praised. They're able to find their salvation through these methods, but the church should be at the forefront of it. Um, so Karen, um, the congregation that, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. Karen, the congregation that you were at, how, how long were they in that ministry? Uh, probably about, uh, Two and a half years or so, um, it, and it was it was it was good. It, it's just this is a touchy ministry. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we tell our ladies when this, you know, this is not. You may hear or see something that you're not going to see in mm-hmm. your normal group of friends, but we deal in a messy ministry, and so you know, you're just gonna. It, it may be for you, and it may not be for you. You'll know after the first ride along. We call them ride alongs when we go out. You'll mm-hmm. know whether it's for you or not. But um, um, you know, I, I feel like where we attend at Clear Creek Church of Christ, we have a very, very forward-thinking group of elders. And so it makes it very easy to uh, be able to move forward uh, in this ministry. And, uh, and recently we have uh, opened up, uh, you might like to hear a little bit, Katrina, tell you about the search house, what we call the search house. And, and uh, that's part of the ministry that uh, the church has uh, helped fund. Um, Karen, is there a, um, there's always a stigma um attached to church uh as far as being judgy uh things of that nature um and i and i guess this is a question for both of you um do you find that ladies um or i'm not sure if i know you're geared towards lay i don't know if you assist men or not um is there do you find that there's apprehension with many of our victims First, um, we you know, assist men. Um, we also assist transgender people. Uh, we assist souls first and foremost. Now, it is predominantly women that we serve because there are more women willing to come forward and more women out there on the streets. Um, but what I've seen more than anything is women who are willing to serve, women who are super interested to know somebody who's been in that life, especially women who have grown up in the church all their lives. Like I can't walk through those doors without being loved on and hugged and pulled this way and that. I have to go to church 30 minutes early for all the women that want to love on me. That's good. What I found is that men do not want to allow their wives to go because they think it's dangerous. Yes. That's the issue that we run into. You know, we we opened search sexual exploitation advocacy and resource center of Hamilton County. It's the first drop in center for sexually exploited people in the state of Tennessee. And we had a recent training where people came in and, and some of them were all volunteers, but they wanted to get into new positions. And there's this one particular lady who is just the most prim and proper 
grew up and her daddy had an oil rig and all this stuff. And we've got a um, regular client who comes in, a 54-year-old sex worker. And she comes in to spend four hours on Thursday to sit and talk to Miss Brenda. Hmm. And they can't wait to see each other. And it's just the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. I get told to go back to my office. (laughs) By by my client, not by Miss Brenda. But she's like, just go on back to your office. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And I go. Um, you know, it's it's opportunity. It's it's you know, if a door opens at your church for a ministry like this, then then hold it open. Mm. Hold it open because people are aching to get into the serving part of Christianity. They are. Amen. I know for me, in order for me to get to the point that I am today, when I first entered the church, you know, I come in a convicted felon. So I'm helping with baby showers. I'm helping with the potluck. I'm helping, you know, I'm loading the dishwasher. I'm asking what I, I'm carrying stuff out of the car. What else can I do? How can I help? That way, when I asked to serve in my own way, they knew that I was a servant. So I just want to encourage these listeners that you can't start out too small when the least are the greatest. Uh, amen. Amen. You can't start out too small. Amen. Don't you know that loading a dishwasher is a jewel in your crown? Don't you know that carrying a box of food to the homeless is a little bit of bling in your thing? Like, <laughs> don't get it twisted. Right. <laughs> uh, Karen, your opinion, um, was is uh, do you find that there's apprehension with many of the people you've assisted due to church stigma? Due to church stigma, absolutely not. Those ladies that we serve are so open, and I will tell you what I have found. I have found that the women that I work with on the street have as much Bible knowledge or more than I have. And um, it's it's a very interesting thing, even at the uh, local prison. It, it's just amazing at their Bible knowledge. And uh, I'll tell you, when you stand in a circle holding hands with a group of women and uh, tears in their eyes because you're praying for them and you're praying for their safety and then all of a sudden one of those ladies says now let me pray for you and you hear a prayer that is just beyond belief and you know you've got tears in your eyes and there's really no apprehension those those are the most welcoming women um they they it's, it's we have a joke they um they they know my car, and so if I'm driving down the street, they are literally waving me over. It <laughs> it, it has just become just hilarious, and so uh, they're going, oh yeah, there's my ladies. They, they call us their church ladies. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I think you guys kind of hinted to it. So, how well has the uh, Clear Creek congregation? Uh, been in supporting your guys' ministry? They are beyond supportive. uh, Not only do they fully financially support our endeavors, they have given us a specific elder to oversee our endeavors. Um, I've never been told no Mm. about, you know, wanting to serve someone, but they also know that I'm a tough love mama, and I'm not out there being the free stuff fairy just slinging stuff around. Like, I've, I've got to be told by the father to make a move before I ask to make a move. They, 
You know, they tell us if you go over budget, we know to rebudget for next year. Um, they don't want us to go nonprofit because they want to keep this biblical. It is so important to them that we do it by the word. And that's why I love Church of Christ. That's, that's the denominational gift that I believe Church of Christ as a whole has is obedience to the word, the actual word, not interpretation, but what it says. And I can get down with that. Okay. Um, if you don't mind explaining, so what sets it, uh, by them, by you guys not going nonprofit, what are your, um, advantages or disadvantages? Well, I think, I think the advantages are that it is completely financially and supportively dedica- dedicated to God. I just think that there's something sacred about that. Um, we don't have any state regulations or anything. The state can't come in right. and tell me what I can and cannot do at, at the uh, drop-in center. You know, I can't be told not to pray for somebody. Um, I teach classes at different places. One place I contract to teach outside of my job as a restoration developer, and I'm not allowed to talk about Jesus there. Mm. Um, but I am allowed to invite them to the table where I do talk about Jesus, and people do come from that meeting. So I'm still discipling. They just don't know. <laughs> Um, let me tell you about the table really quick because it's a really important part of what we're doing and it's relatively new. Sure. The table is a group that God told me to start for people, for women who have issues that they feel like they can't talk about at church. So what we have right now is a group of about 13 women, some of them who attend Clear Creek, some who do not, some who do not attend church at all, some who are, are survivors of sexual exploitation, some who are not, some who are addicts or alcoholics, some who are not. And we've got this wonderfully safe, amazing place where these women can gather and either choose to talk about the reason they're there or choose to not talk about the reason they're there and just enjoy the lesson. Um, But we teach from a biblical, psychological, and 12-step perspective. And, man, it's been really cool. It's been really cool. Um, So you were baptized in 2015? I think so on Easter Sunday. Nice. Um, how fruitful has this transition? You are a new creature in Christ. How has the uh, how's your new life in Christ been to you? Man, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You know, uh, my husband he gets on to me. He says things like, "We could have got a hotel room for eighty three dollars a night, but you boozy." <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, when I was baptized, the Lord gave me a new heart." Uh-huh. And I can't live in a dumpster no more. I can't just get it how I live anymore. I've got a new heart. I'm a new woman. I am valued. I am special. I am preferred. I'm his child. Amen. The confidence, the confidence that comes <laughs> with this new life. Like, this girl is on fire. Okay. Jesus. Preach to me, Sister Kate. Yeah. <laughs> um. Karen, uh, when you have these, uh, young ladies that, when you have these young ladies that have been out in the street, um, how, how do you assist in, uh, restoring their dignity, if you will, and how, uh, fruitful is it for you? Well, I guess I've always approached the young ladies on the street. Uh, we've never been standoffish 
from them because they may be very dirty or, um, you know, just this. They may be drunk. They may be very strung out on drugs, but they're always open and willing for a hug. Mm. There's very few of them who are they, they we try to we try to touch them with a with a love. You know, we try to be the hands and feet of Jesus the best we can. Um, it's just so fulfilling to um, think that you may have been able to just make them smile for just a little bit. Or, you know, we're always like, hey, lady, you know. And, and you know, the big thing is we try to teach, eat, treat each one of those ladies with dignity and respect because they deserve it. And when we take things to them, we don't give them used things that have been discarded by people. We give them new things because Mm -hmm. we want them to know that they are valuable and worthy just as we are. And, you know, I I must say that I I think that the ladies that we work with, they they are so incredibly comfortable with all us church ladies and uh, they they just love to see us coming. I mean, we've actually we form friendships with them. We know them by name. Um, you know, we it's not just so well. Hello, you know, hi and 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 bye. It's hey, uh, you know, so and so. How are you doing today? We know about their kids. We know about you know some of their problems. They share their struggles with us. So it's just um, you know it's it. it I just can't highly recommend it enough for anybody to get involved in a ministry like this. Um, okay, now let me do some circling back a little bit. Uh, Katrina, you uh, mentioned um, even in uh, our conversation just now and in the past about um, STDs that you uh, have acquired throughout your journey. Um, how, how's your health now? How are you coming along with that? My health is amazing. You know, I, um, never had any children, um, and wound up having to have a hysterectomy due to, you know, my past and everything. And I I jokingly say that the Lord has blessed me with a barren womb (laughs) because I have a four year old goddaughter and I get to send her home. (laughs) 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 Um, and with my HIV, I'm actually starting um, at the end of this month, I'm starting a once a month injection instead of the pills that I have to take every day. So I'm super stoked about that. Like the only difference between you and I health wise is um, one pill and it's about mm-hmm. to be one shot a month because I'm healthy as a horse. Good, good. Like, God be praised. Nothing wrong. God be praised. Uh, what's your... Uh, you met your husband at the drug court. Was he an addict as well? Uh, I did not meet him at drug court. Okay, um, okay. He, uh, I met him outside of drug court after I graduated from drug court when I was okay. working at the rehab. And yes, he, he was an addict as well. Um, how, how is it? Um, cause not only is it rewarding to help these other young ladies, you and your husband are walking this fight together. How does it strengthen, how do you guys strengthen each other? Let me put it that way. How do we strengthen each other? Well, I think that, that primarily it's, it's a good thing, um, 
for women to allow their husband to lead a marriage spiritually, financially, emotionally, you know, all of those things. And um, so I try to do that as much as I can. It's really hard for me because I'm strong-willed and I'm sassy and I'm loud and I'm proud. Um, but, you know, and, and the job goes just like any other job in any other marriage. You know, he wants to tell me how to do my job. And, and when he's helping me, he wants to do things his way instead of helping me. We fuss. And then at the end of the day, it's like we we love this life. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's been on transitions with me where we've taken girls, you know, across state or through states to their programs to safety. And um, one of the things that he does that I really love is that he will open the car door for the lady that we're transitioning and he'll buy her lunch and he'll treat her respectfully. And he's extra careful to treat me respectfully to model a good marriage and a God-given marriage for that client. Um, have, have you guys had to do therapy or anything like that? Um, I do therapy. Okay. I do therapy on a weekly basis. He's done a little bit, not very much. You know, therapy's not a man thing, traditional. <laughs> uh, but believe you me, he gets it from me. Uh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how, how long has your sobriety been so far? I have not used an illegal drug in 11 years. Nice, nice. I did drink alcohol a few years ago. You know, the enemy snuck in, and he's like, you know them people at church, they drank. You know Jesus drank wine. <laughs> uh, and uh, I found out through through trying to drink wine like Jesus three times that I, I don't drink wine like Jesus. <laughs> and that's okay. I'll, I'll get me some in heaven. He says that he will not drink from this cup until he sees us with the Father. So I, I'm going to wait with him. <laughs> Nice. That's funny. Um, so you guys uh, help assist in the uh, Cry for the Broken. Uh, tell the people about what Cry for the Broken is. Yeah, so Cry for the Broken is an outreach that happens twice a month. We we give out supplies, uh, basic hygiene supplies, shampoo, conditioner, soap, deodorant, razors, shaving cream, Um <laughs> Feminine hygiene products. Um, goodness, what else? Uh, we get PB and J and bananas. Oh yeah, we make <laughs> peanut butter and jelly sandwiches right before we go out and individually bag them and take them out. And bananas because bananas the fruit that everybody can handle. You know, some people have dental issues, so we bananas is the thing to take out if you're going to go serve um, people from a low socioeconomic area where they may not have access to. Mm-hmm. to like we do or people who are homeless banana is the fruit never uh, thought about that somebody yeah. needs to hear that so. yeah that's I, it makes perfect sense yeah yeah and so we also offer um the the um option to transition into a program but we don't push it we don't tell people that they need to go we simply let them know that if they ever want to all they got to do is call we'll do an assessment and see what we can do um, when it does come to that, I'm pretty tough. Um, I don't allow people to tell me how they need to be helped because if they knew how they needed to be helped, they would be in a the situation they were in. And I can say that because I spot it because I got it. Right. Because I've been there. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we've done a lot of that. And you know, it's, 
this is not a happy, happy, feel good unicorns and rainbows ministry. It's not like every girl that we transition or every man that we transition goes on to live a successful life. We've buried some people. Mm. We um we lost six in one year before COVID. Oh wow. To this opiate epidemic and and murder and a house fire and and other things. But we do have several. I won't say how many, but we have several who are living with multiple years in their new lives, out of state, doing awesome. their thing, working their jobs, paying their bills, praising the Lord. And awesome. it is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we get to be just a tiny part. You know, I look back to that woman who grabbed me by my shoulders when I tell about that every time that I speak. And I think I hope that I get to be that woman to just one person out there that if I could make that kind of impact that if I could allow the father to speak through me the way that she did and be heard so boldly Mm -hmm. so righteously so firmly as that then when I get to heaven he'll say well done well done my good and faithful servant yes uh how how many um prostitutes do you guys think um you guys are able to assist on a annual basis I guess We've got those numbers somewhere, Karen. Do you have any idea? I don't have it handy, but on every outreach, we will see at least um, 10 to 15. And some of those will be women that we visit in the homeless camps, but they also have some kind of lifestyle that, you know, um, has probably had to do with sexual exploitation. and But uh, we know the regular street where our girls work, and so we head out and uh, we just comb the streets. The police just ignore us because they know who we are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we do our thing. and and um, uh, But I would say anywhere, 10, 10 would be, you know, most evenings we would see at least 10 ladies. But okay. we will hand out anywhere from 15 to 20 hygiene bags because... Because if we see a girl, um, you know, on the street that looks like she needs something, we'll just pull over and say, hey, we've got some hygiene products and so forth. You know, could you use some? And, you know, of course, usually always they're very glad to receive receive our bags. There's there's probably between 30 and 50 at any given time in between incarceration and the streets here in Chattanooga. Um, and that's, that is just addiction related street prostitution that doesn't include trafficking um it doesn't include online work um i could tell you that over the past year that search has been open we've served 33 people men women and transgender okay okay um can i just say that Working with transgender sex workers, I absolutely love it, number one, because I can handle it because I've been out there in the world. You know, it, I don't clutch my pearls. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so amazing because, because the last time I served a transgender person, she looked at me and she said, I'm going to be praying for you. And I know from being in the LGBTQ world that you can't just say that to a friend out there without being ridiculed. Mm-hmm. But search gave her a safe place to say, I'm going to be praying for you. And I gladly accept and honor her prayers. Okay. Um, Katrina, this question is kind of specific to you. 
And I frequently listen to, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jimmy Hinton. Uh, he has a podcast. He's a minister out in Pennsylvania. And he has a podcast called Speaking Out on Sex Abuse. And he's, you know, he's interviewed many people. And one thing that they often talk about is triggers. Um, Was there ever, especially in the beginning, was there ever a reluctance on your behalf to to do these things due to certain triggers that may rush to the forefront of your head? Uh, And if so, how do you forge ahead? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I deal with triggers on a daily basis and mm-hmm. my triggers are my responsibility. And, you know, there's, there's been some times even in ministry where I've fallen short, where I've gotten triggered and I've just completely went into fight or flight. You know, I've, I'm really blessed to serve a congregation that understands psychology and, um, my church actually got me counseling mm-hmm. when that happened. That was amazing. Um, but, yeah, I think the biggest trigger that I could think of along this road, I was working for a re- as a receptionist in a child psychologist's office, and I heard that a lawyer was coming in to represent one of their clients, and he just happened to be one of my old regulars. And, man, I, I wanted to cry. I wanted to hide in the bathroom. I wanted to quit my job. I wanted to run out the back door. I wanted to do anything but face this man. But I sat and I worked through it, and I decided that I didn't have anything to be embarrassed about. That I was out there doing what I had to do to survive. And here's this lawyer who makes, I don't even know how much money. And he's out there picking up my little skanky behind. So when he walked in, I reintroduced myself. And I said, hello, Blank. How are you? It's been a long time. And he didn't recognize me. So I said, you know who I am. You used to call me Lala. And he looked like Sylvester with a mouthful of tweeting. You just wouldn't believe the look on his face. And I said, well, honey, how are you? I'm doing pretty well myself. And he said, I, 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 I can see that. I'm, I'm doing all right. And he just, you know, jetted on out there. He was the one who wanted to run. He was the one who wanted to hide in the bathroom. He was the one who wanted to quit his job. I didn't have to deal with that. Jesus tried on the cross for my sins. I don't have to live in guilt and shame today. And so when I'm triggered, I just listen for the truth. Uh, I appreciate your boldness. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, I have to call it crazy. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. (laughs) Um, Let me circle back to something, because, of course, this is controversial. um, And I boy, I didn't see this coming. Uh, The LGBT community. um, Have you had any opportunities to introduce them uh, to the gospel truth at all? Well, I've got a very dear friend who um, who is a gay woman who has chosen not to act on that because she feels that that's what's necessary for her to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I've given that to her as her area. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't tell people being LGBTQ is a sin. Just like I don't run and tell people that gossiping is a sin and lying is a sin as soon as I hear it, because mm-hmm. we know what sin is. Right. We know what sin is. I, I'm simply present. And that's the key, is the church being present. Mm. You know, people who are living in sin aren't going to be like, oh, my goodness, that's a sin. I better just stop that right now. But by being there and being present... Mm-hmm. And saying, you know, I've done some things that, that people don't like either. 
you know, here, here's one of my secrets. And Jesus overcame it in me. Right, right. That's uh, not telling them that they need to have Jesus up because that's, that's up to Jesus. Right, right. I don't want his job. Amen. Um, so Karen, how do you go about approaching that? Because, um, you don't have Katrina's background. So how do you adjust, um, in having those conversations as difficult as they could be? Well, I got to ride for two hours in the car with a uh, transgender person that I did not know that I was transporting to a, a safe place. Uh, I figured it out along the way, but, um, you know, I, I am your typical, uh, raised in the church, born in the church, raised in the church, mm-hmm. typical little white lady, you know, and, and so, um, I, um, um, it, it's some things, you know, I'm not easily shocked, but, uh, I always, um, refer to Katrina. Sometimes, you know, I'll make a phone call and say, hey, you know, uh, this is so and so. This is what's happening. What do you think? Tell me what to do. And, um, I'm not easily scared off myself. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I have learned a lot in the past 10 years by being associated with Katrina and uh, being associated with a group of people that I probably would have never been thrown into. And um, my tolerance has become uh, greater. Uh, I I am not as opinionated on... um, I know what's right and wrong. I believe the Bible. But I also know... Jesus loves us all. Right, right. And, you know, it's we lead by our example, and we teach by our example, and I'm just there to love them, and uh, hopefully, you know, they'll see the, the Jesus shining in us. Amen, amen. Um, you know, I think too often that all, all the church knows about gay people is they have sex with the same sex, and all the gay people know about the church is that we're judgy. And mm-hmm. I think it's about time we showed them something different. Amen. I agree with that. I agree with that totally. Um, and we can all fall victim to, um, or we have the proclivity to fall victim to being Pharisaic. Uh, mm-hmm. we can, we can, uh, strain a gnat and try to swallow a camel, as it says, mm-hmm. um, and forget, uh, some of the things that uh first Corinthians talk about that you were this, you were this, you were that. Uh and we, and we forget. We try to easily dismiss those things we used to do uh because it's because someone else does something that we wouldn't dare do. So let's get ready to try to wrap this up. Um outside of your congregation uh, how do you go about getting the supplies you need for these young ladies? Do you receive donations throughout the city, or how does that go? How does that work? A lot of people do want to donate, and so we let them know specifically, you know, what we'll accept. I've learned that um, if you just leave yourself open for donations, then then people will 
dump a dumpster on your front porch. It is wild. So <laughs> we will let people know specifically what we will accept. But gotcha. um, we're stocked up at this point that wow, if we didn't fantastic. get any more donations for the next three years, we'd be fine. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so tell us about Search House. Yeah, Search House uh, came to be because of the house that I used to go to where I would be allowed to take a bath and he would cook me food and he would let me sleep there, but I would have to have sex for him with him for $5. I wanted to have a safe place for my people to go where they could get something to eat and they could take a nap and they could watch TV and they could take a shower and I could do their laundry. And if they, if they want to transport to services like therapy or HIV STD testing or something like that, they could get it with no strings attached. Mm-hmm. And through this, we're able to build closer relationships with those that we serve. You know, we're already building great relationships with them on the streets, but when we leave, we're gone for two weeks. Now we are a more constant presence in the hood. Um, and also they, and also they bring their friends. Yes, they do. That's they good. Do. Um, how do the to- how do uh the two programs intertwine? Well, you know, the majority um of our clients at search are the girls that we see on the streets. And because search is down um in the hood, our mission grounds, um it makes it easier to meet there and load up the Tahoe or load up the Kia. And go serve on the streets and then meet back at search. It's, uh, it's a multi-purpose facility house. It's a beautiful, beautiful little house with a fenced-in backyard, the back deck with a picnic table on it and a front porch and hmm. wonderful neighbors who support our endeavors. And it's a, it's a really great thing. Now that, now that program is also church funded 100% as well or no? That's correct. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. We'd be willing to come show you how to set the program up. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? That was going to be an off-the-air conversation, but I would love to have you. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, next time, you, Katrina, you talked about coming to Cleveland. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, planted, I planted one in West Virginia that's thriving, and I would love to plant one in Cleveland, Ohio. <sighs> Why you're going to make this a whole another 15 minutes of this episode because I've toyed with the idea and I don't want to let too much out the bag, but um, between me and my wife, uh, I've toyed with the idea of somehow setting up a um, a program for those that are in abusive relationships that they can get somewhere for protection, whether it's for a night or two or however long, when the shelters are overran. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that. Absolutely. I would love to. I would that love to. Great. Uh, so with that being said, in your opinion, whether Chattanooga or uh, nationally, do you think there's enough assistance out there to for these ladies to get out of the situations they're in? No, there's not. Especially, especially for those engaged in addiction related prostitution. You know, there's, we've got lots of resources for trafficked women. There's still not enough. 
But especially for addiction-related prostitution, we don't have anywhere, hardly anywhere that's specifically designed for that. Because most places, safe houses for trafficked women don't accept us independent contractors, as I like to call them. Any any particular reason for that? People well, normally have talks before they can get into one of those situations. Uh, so there's a stigma that comes along with prostitution, okay? Mm-hmm. But when it's trafficking, when you've got a third party involved that is uh, financially benefiting from this, and it's it's through force, fraud, or coercion, then that stigma lessens and there's people more willing to help. I've heard organizations call girls like me too far down the spectrum to help. And I'm like, but look at me, though. (laughs) But look at me, though. Like, I'm over here thriving, living my best life, college graduate, organization founder, like crazy Jesus lady. (laughs) Like, you, you don't want another one of those because you can't handle it or because you just don't want it? Which one is it? Satan has his way. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, when, there's, when there's a will, there's a way. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, when there's a well, will, there's the a way. I- The the eyes of the general public need to be opened up, too, because we even had a local person that uh, ran an organization um, that helped in in these type victims, and he made a comment that, oh, you know, they chose to do that. We don't serve them. Yeah, not not those girls. They choose to be out there. Now, that's back when I was in college, and they were coming to teach us about sex trafficking. And I had just started Cry for the Broken, and they were telling me how they were educating hotels on how to identify trafficking. And I said, sir, I think that's wonderful. What are you doing about the hotels that are already benefiting off the backs of the ladies who are selling their bodies here in Chattanooga? He said, what do you mean? And so I said, well, what about Park City Motel? You know Mama's out there behind the truck stop. Oh, those girls, he said. Not those girls. They choose to be out there. So the next week I went on the news and I told my community what I used to do in that hotel and what was still going on. And within the next week, it was torn to the ground and there was and there was grass planted. Mm. So I'm like, that's cool. You don't want to do it. I got this. And and we took care of it, didn't we, Karen? Yeah, we did. We did. We did. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Um, And and I I used to work in hotels and I and. I'm not proud of it, but, uh, you know, in my early twenties being, uh, enamored in the wrong direction. Uh-huh. Um, I thought some of those guys were just the coolest thing until I'm able to reflect and say, God, what in the world was I thinking about? Yeah. Um, because you get involved in certain stuff and you, and you find yourself maybe even willing to lend a helping hand. And it's like, I was so far removed from the gospel at that time in my life that it's just one of the shameful moments of my life. Um, and I felt like, uh, I, and I do feel like it, it hurt me in the long term. Um, and it took a lot of redeeming in my opinion, uh, to, to get that right. Uh, cause 
you know, I, I took time being enamored with these guys that quote unquote look cool, but I'm not thinking about the, the souls that it's affecting. Um, and all the, the dangers that come with it. Um, so definitely not something I'm very proud of. Um, well, shame and guilt has no place in salvation. And I'm glad that you had those thoughts and I'm glad that you had those feelings because for all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And had you not held those opinions and been exposed to the truth, then what great love would you have for the Savior now? Amen. Amen. Um, yeah. Those those many years on top of other things I was doing just cost me uh a handful of glorious years per se. Uh but I'm definitely glad I'm still alive to have breath in my lungs to be back in the uh, church and uh doing God's work. I'm glad uh, you are too. So we kinda already stumbled across it and this will be uh the second to last question, if you will, um, <laughs> for for anyone listening, uh, how what are, what are the initial ingredients, if you will, to get a program like yours started? Oh, honesty, open mindedness, and willingness, and a heart to serve. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it, whenever I, I came and, and set up an outreach in West Virginia, I brought enough bags um, to hand out for a couple of months to get them started, let them know what they needed to collect, um, showed them the do's and don'ts on the streets, and now they're out there rolling. And they do some things that we don't, that I really admire. Um, they They have access to Narcan and fentanyl testing strips that they hand out because they have a huge overdose problem there. Mm. And I think it's absolutely amazing. What else would you say, uh, Ms. Karen? Anything you have to add to that? Well, hopefully you would have a congregation that would back you and see the need for a program like this, um, it's it like I said before, it's a messy program, and uh, but it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever been involved in. And it takes very little to actually set up the program. Maybe a room in a building uh, with some shelves on it so that you can keep the products to load up in the bags. We even make the bags that we hand out to the ladies. Uh, out of t-shirts and we have a group of ladies that'll just sit and cut the necks out of them and the girls believe it or not you know there's simple things that you wouldn't think about we don't give them paper bags with a handle or whatever these t-shirt bags they can throw over their shoulder and they're able to keep up with them whereas a paper bag tears mm. so there's just little things that you know uh, that seems silly, but they're really kind of important to the yeah. ladies. But you don't need it a lot. You just need some willing people to be able to, you know, drive a vehicle and uh, go out to outreaches and learn how to call programs and find out where a lady could possibly be placed. We've come so far. We used to spend hours calling just Somebody would refer us to this program, to this program, try these people to go ahead and maybe get someone in. And now, you know, there's a, a national line set up that you can call and and uh, get women, you know, placed in a program. But like I said, just a supply room, 
uh, it, you would be surprised the women who aren't willing to necessarily go out on the streets are so excited to be able to get to go and work in the supply room, fill the bags up, make sure we yeah. have everything we need handy and ready to go on outreach. It's just a it's just a rewarding experience in a lot of areas other than just meeting those women, you know, face to face on the street. Those other ladies that keep the program going are just as important. Yeah. And, and there's and there's little things that are big things that that people need to know as well. And I and I I implement that whenever I teach somebody about how to start an outreach, like how to identify a prostitute. You don't want to just walk up on anybody and hand them a bag and say, "This is what we do." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might get we we've made that mistake before. Yeah. <laughs> um, but learning to identify someone who's working the streets is important. Um, learning to uh, if you're reaching for a hug to reach out your arms and let them initiate that first touch because it gives them the choice of being Mm. touched. You know, little things like that are are really huge things that, that I implement whenever I'm training those to go out onto the street. Yes. There's a lot of protocol that uh, women need to know and and learn about dealing, um, you know, when you go out on the streets, but it, but you pick it up fairly quickly. Yeah. It's, it's easy. Mm Mm-hmm. It's easy to love somebody. Uh, um, I don't know how I missed this question, but how many how many souls have gotten uh, saved through your ministry? Don't have to be too accurate. I can think of three off the top of my head right now that have been recent. And one there's been a one of those was a volunteer. Nice. This is a ministry within a ministry. This is this is a a car full of women serving women doing things that um, you know. Those women may have done in the past, but would never speak of. Uh, it's it gives them an opportunity to talk about the things that they would never tell anybody. You know, we all got that blank, man. That mm-hmm. you wouldn't love me if you knew blank. And a lot of blank reveals go on in that vehicle. And the most beautiful thing is when somebody tells their blank and they look up and somebody goes, "Me too. I did that too." So three in 2021. So I'm sure you guys probably had what upwards 15, 20 since the program started. Do what now? I said, um, I said you have, you've had three in 2021. So I'm sure you guys probably had 10, 20 since the program started. I wish I could claim that many. No. I wish I could claim that many, but you know, the, the lady who, who came out and spoke to me that day that God spoke through, she would have never known that I live the life that I live now if I hadn't went back and found her and let her know. Yeah. But so you I'm know what? I'm trying to be a little part, y'all. I, I ain't got to be the one to dunk them. I don't. I don't. I just want to be on the road. The most important thing is we're plant, uh, we're seed throwers. Um, yeah. And we'll never so, know what that turns into. Our women, you know, I learned early on from Katrina that just because you are uh, transition a woman that and and she goes somewhere chances are you're going to be doing that three four maybe even five more times or somebody else will be doing it before it it actually sticks Mm -hmm. so you don't give up just because the first time you know didn't stick uh, or work for them eventually hopefully the goal is is that they will be able to make a better life for themselves Amen. Amen. Um, how can the people get out and possibly support your mission uh, nationwide or just in Chattanooga? Whoever this reaches, how can they get out and support you guys? 
I would love for them to check us out at cryforthebroken.org. If you would like to make a financial donation towards Cry for the Broken, I'm not here asking for it, but lots of people do ask me. I would ask that you write a check to Clear Creek Church of Christ and put Cry for the Broken in the subject line because all of our all of our budgeting, all of our finances come through them. Um, if uh, if you want to do something different, just hit me up. Uh, send me an email at cryforthebroken at gmail.com. And I'd love to talk to you about it. Also, tell him about the two events we do every year. Oh, yeah. So uh, Walk the Streets in Hershey's, where I take the church out to the streets. We go in the morning when um, the girls aren't as apt to be out there working because we're not trying to infringe upon their finances. And I tell them what it's like to be a prostitute working on that street. I ask them to envision that that is their life. And we walk and we pray and we sing at each intersection. And this will be our fifth time doing it. And we didn't get to go last year because of COVID. But the year before mm. that, we had two of our girls join us for the walk. Nice. Yeah. They're yeah. walking with the church people and talking with the church people. And it's just like, I can't even believe this in my life. And then the uh, soup kitchen. Yeah. So we also do a street side soup kitchen. And that's to raise awareness in the community. Um, it began as a way for me to make amends to the community that I once uh, sold my body and purchased drugs in. Um, it's a predominantly Hispanic community now. So I wrote out a letter in English with Spanish on the other side. And we knocked on each door and I hand delivered the letter to each resident. And basically it said that for five years I sold my body on your streets. And for five years... I didn't care what you thought about it, and I didn't care to do it in front of your kids, and I lowered your property values, and um, the, the the crime rate was risen because of me and my actions, so mm. I'm here to make that right today. I want to let you know that I'm back on your streets again, but I'm doing something different this time, and these are the things that I'm doing, and would you please come and, and have lunch with me on this date? And so we set up uh, propane burners, and um, people from multiple congregations brought chili and cornbread muffins, and we served the entire neighborhood. And anybody who would stop and be like, what y'all doing? Because we're out there causing a big ruckus. I'd run out chili to them and cornbread to them and just tell them Jesus loved them, and I did too, and they nothing they could do about it. And <laughs> My preacher says the same thing. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, that is beautiful. What, usually the third weekend every September? Uh, some weekend every September. It just depends on the church schedule, life, okay, okay. weather, all that good stuff. I'm going to hold you guys <laughs> off the air, but uh, I want to thank you for your time. And um, I, I truly hope and pray that this uh, pricks the hearts of many, encourages others, and, and hopefully uh, in some form or fashion, uh, inspires others um, I thank you ladies You guys uh, keep up the good work God be with you um, You definitely have Encouraged me um, Immensely um, God is good And you guys are products of it Of his grace, his mercy, his truth And that uh, God is still in the saving business Thank you for having us Thank you thank so much This has been so great Thank you, thank you. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at liberation underscore pod.
Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DeVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydevita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, it's doodlebugsbydevita.etsy.com. Use the promo code LIBERATION and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at doodlebugs for you. That's doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. And Instagram, doodlebugs by DeVita.